So I, I won't do much more of an intro here over to you. Bless you in Jesus' name. Help them in Jesus' name. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you, Derek. Thank you so much for the welcome. Wonderful to be with you. Uh, the sun's shining up here, but it looks dark out there. Uh, the spotlights, we should have an issued pair of dark glasses. Um, it's a privilege to be with you. And we came across to do a whole series of meetings through the USA uh, for the next seven weeks and to various churches that have invited us. And of course, the privilege of landing here with you in, in Springfield. And thank you, Derek and Heidi, for the, that. And honor the previous leadership or the leadership here. Thank you, sirs, ma'ams, for having us here too. And I trust this morning is one that's the first of many that we would have to be able to give to you such as we have in our walk with God, which started in 1978 when I was a soldier basically in the country of Rhodesia, now Zimbabwe. We were in a war. I was in the veterinary laboratories. So we had a secular job as well as fighting and defending our nation. My encounter with God and learning about Him was through my parents. And I, as a young boy, lived at a missionary school. It was a boys' school. They um, was only boys, but they had a chapel there. They had a pastor there, Padre. And every morning and evening from the young age of four years old going on up, uh, I heard the boys singing in chapel, which was about 50 meters from our house. So I grew up with choir. I grew up with hymns. I knew them. By the age 10, I could quote them. I almost knew the numbers in the hymn books. So I had that kind of upbringing. My parents were not saved. My dad definitely wasn't saved. Uh, but he was faithful in raising my sister and I by taking us up into a little treehouse on Sundays, opening the Bible, and begin to explain or read the scriptures to us the best way he knew how. And he'd tell us all the stories in the Old Testament about the heroes, you know who they are. And then you'd end up reading about the four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. He never got into the book of Acts or Ephesians or any of those books. I don't think he dared try it because he didn't know what they were actually saying. But he understood and read us the Matthew, Mark, being a faithful dad. I said to him a while on, Dad, why did you do that? He says, because I was wanting to make sure that I had the right word in you as a young man and to my sister too. So we grew up at school winning all the religious instruction classes. I'd get first prize continually. And I'd look at the other guys and say, why didn't you know that? Don't you know that? And they said, no, we never knew that. And so I suddenly realized that I was being trained in a different way to most other boys and girls. And that my parent was, gets the honor for that. What I did know is that, and I made a promise to myself when my dad was reading those gospels is that Jesus on the cross he said a number of things he said seven things and one of them I said I'd say to and, and I promised myself and that was when Jesus died he said into thy, into thy hands our father I commit my spirit and I thought as a young boy at that age when I die I'm going to say the same thing and of course when you're that age death is years light years away but I thought that's it I'm going to do that and not knowing when or how or what. It's one of those weird things that you do when as a kid, you, you know, Superman and Batman and Robin and all those things were being printed. But in those days, Jesus was, hey, he's way above those guys. So I promised myself that, went through school, and of course, us, 
in the country then, when we left school, we could not get married or go for a job until you'd done your nine months military training. If you wanted to get married, up to you. You get married, then your honeymoon's over because you disappear into the front line and your wife's left standing there in a white dress. So what's the point of getting married right away? And so that was out the window for us, for me anyway. I just thought that's not going to happen while this was going on. Secondly, if you wanted a job, the first question is, have you done your nine months military training? No. Go and do it, come back, and then ask the question for a job. So, so our life was very structured. It was very much around the era of surviving our nation. We, as a nation, defended ourselves. My dad got back into blue overalls and did roadblocks, and he was a Second World War survivor of two ships being sunk in the Second World War. He survived both, and here he is back again in uniform, well, overalls, doing roadblocks. And so us as young people, that was our life. We grew up with a family, Second World War, my dad was. So he raised me like a naval sailor. I mean, 7 o'clock, you're in bed, lights out, and you will be asleep. Yes, Dad. Why is your slippers underneath your bed? Sorry, Dad. Go and put them there. Your dressing gown's not hung up straight. And why is the bathroom in a mess? So that was the background we grew up. Now, I wasn't a slave. I wasn't being overridden and oppressed and suppressed. I loved it because I knew where I was with him. From then on, everything was bright and good. And I loved him. And we had incredible times together with my mom, too. But military training was a way of life. And so nine months military training, and then you went on into battle. So some of the things that we learned in the military was, and I often bring a comparison between that and the Christian walk. So when you walk into any military station, first of all, you you get rid of your own identity. You get rid of your special clothes that you love. You're stripped. Second thing is you have a haircut if you have hair. And so you all look the same. You lose your identity. You become a number. Somebody on the sideline who has the least amount of rank in the military, a lance corporal, he thinks he's God because he's looking for a promotion. And he starts commanding you and telling you what to do. And mostly what you do do is you end up on a parade ground, a piece of flat tarmac asphalt. And you march around that thing dressed in a uniform and he starts correcting those who don't keep in step, don't make the right moves, don't make the right turns. And he tells you what to do and how to do it. And he reminds you how, in certain language that I won't repeat, that he makes you feel small and that you really want to obey him. And you often ask yourself, why are you marching around a parade ground? Most military people do. And it's simply this one thing. He wants you to listen to the voice of one person. When we come together and we worship, we sing as one voice to one person. And it's a very similar comparison because one is talking to you and you need to obey and listen. Here we're singing to one and we should listen and obey and listen to what he is saying right now, this part of the service. And so the comparison is very similar. And so why does he want you? Why does that one man with one stripe on his sleeve, which is one rank above a normal non-entity, Why does he want you to listen to him? Well, if you don't listen, you don't survive. Because when you're in battle and you say, no, I don't think so. I'm going to ask you. I'm going to, I don't agree with you, sergeant. Guess what? You get a third eye. Whoop. And when it's in battle, you don't come home. So it's a good idea to listen to what's going on. 
Friends, it's a good idea to listen to what God's saying to you every single day of the, life, of the week. It's not say, well, I think, and you don't argue with God. You don't argue laterally. You listen vertically, and you do what He tells you to do. So I could put the military and the Christian life very much close together because it gets you a long way in life. And so when you do that, you march around, you do all these things, you shine your boots and do everything. Why? Because they just want you to line up with what's going on. When you become a Christian, you lose your identity. You become His identity. You are a new creature in Christ Jesus. Old things pass away. Everything becomes brand new. And so for, for, for me doing this and growing up in that, it was quite exciting, except I did not like it because being a regular soldier, you never saw action. You dressed up, and you know what it's like, ladies, please bear with me. You wear a uniform, you go to a rifle range, you shoot blanks, and you think you're in the war. Blanks means you pull the trigger, big noise, nothing comes out the barrel. You know, bang. It's like a cap gun. Next promotion is you fire live ammunition, but it's paper targets. They don't fire back. And you want to see how good your score is, if you can hit it at this position, that position, all these different positions lying. And so why? It's because in every situation you can get yourself in, make sure you're on target. In our Christian walk, some things go wrong, some things are great, some things are hallelujah, brother, amen, and we all clap hands to get excited. Tomorrow morning, something goes wrong, we have to get you off the carpet to get you to stand up to at least say maybe one hallelujah. You see, in every situation you face, you need to be in a position to engage with what you're called to do. To me, that in Christianity is exciting, and not everything goes perfect. If it was, it would be so boring. If it you need to have action. You need to exercise your faith to see in things. You guys all right? You're very quiet. You were a heck of a noisy. You're really noisy during worship. Now it's like subsonic. Huh? Tortoise. Tortoise. So, so I chose, when I, especially when I was fired at by my lieutenant in the regular forces, the looty was over there. He put a bullet in the sand in front of me. I got my weapon. I fired automatic into anything that's around me. And finally, when the lieutenant came up, he said, it's okay, it was me. I was firing a, a bullet in the sand in front of you to keep you awake. And I looked at him, and I had a little bit of respect. That was fast declining. And I said, sir, once, the rest of that, I never repeated the word sir in respect to an officer. I said, why are you such a, to put a bullet in the ground in front of me? Do you not know this is a red area, terrorists around here? And you don't do that. You don't play games when there's real action. And it says, I was trying to keep you awake. And I thought, hmm, if this is the kind of caliber of man I'm going to fight the war with, I think I'm going to make a move. I'm going to get out of this. So I volunteered. I went into a different group where we saw action. It's called the Tracker Combat Unit. We are trained to treat, teach, and follow people through any kind of terrain, over any kind of bush, and follow the enemy and engage them. So it was action. You're helicoptered. You're heli-born in instead of walking. So you had a slight better privilege. Whenever you were called, you were immediately in action. You weren't wondering where the action was, like we were in the infantry. You actually got into action. Put that into Christian life, is you can come to church for the next 10 years and see no action. Never see a demon cast out, never raise the dead, never lay hands on the sick. You can just be a general, average waste of time 
church member. Or you can be a someone who actually says, I'm putting my foot forward. I don't know how in the world this works, but I'm being willing to volunteer. My choice, not being called, my choice to get involved in where the action is because that's why I'm in uniform. I want to get into action. That's why I'm born again. That's why I'm spirit-filled. I'm dressed with the power of God. I want to see action. And so that happened. But sometimes they tell you, or they never tell you, that if you get what you give, sometimes it hurts. In other words, if you fire a bullet, you can also get one. But they never tell you that. You know, you put your hand on the Bible and swear your allegiance and everything else. I'm a soldier. Next minute, you get a bullet. It's not nice. But that's part of the occupational hazard of being a Christian. Trouble is, a lot of us Christians, when stuff happens to us, we quit. We want to give up. We don't go to church. We don't go to a home cell meeting. We don't want to lift our hands and worship. We have dialed out. Tap, tap. Sorry. This is too hard for me. Guess what? That's when you begin. That's when life begins. That's what you're born for. You're born to be a devil-de-slaying, demon-casting, outing, sickness-destroying somebody. And, and to, to see that happen once, you'll never be the same again. They'll be changed, but you'll even be more changed. Especially when you see the dead raised. I tell you what, when that happens first time, you're like, oh my gosh, it works. You know how we say that? It works, really. You've been reading it and praying it now when it happens. Oh, it works. There's a massive change that goes on inside our hearts. So I volunteered for the renowned unit called the Salu Scouts, which uh, you can get onto Google and have a look at that. Salu Scouts are about a thousand of us in the nation. When I was in the tracker combat unit, I was one of 30 trained in the whole nation. I met Cali. I never thought I'd ever get married, not while I'm in uniform. It's a waste of time. You get all emotionally involved and you want to, you know, you start falling in love, then you call torn and you disappear over the horizon and you wonder what your girl's doing who's messing with her or trying to mess with her because there's a war number two when I come home. <laughs> Did you phone Kelly? See you outside right now. You know, it's, it's that kind of life. So I thought, I'm not going to waste my time with that. But when I met Kelly and I gate crashed a wedding, the deputy prime minister of Rhodesia, his daughter's wedding, I gate crashed that level of wedding. It was, it was amazing. I, I was going to say it's worth it, but... <laughs> so I sat down on the table opposite Kelly. She disappeared because she's highly embarrassed. At that stage, my friend and I, who was there, we were bench pressing well over 300 pounds. We were... So no one wanted to argue with us. We had entrance and so we sat down. It's one of those moments. And I sat and looked into Kelly's eyes and I thought my gosh well long story short we got married <laughs> but on honeymoon I'm on honeymoon we come back I get a phone call from the commanding officer Sergeant Taylor yes sir you reported base camp at 0630 tomorrow morning full kit for, for action so on my honeymoon Sergeant Taylor yes sir You'll report at 0600 tomorrow morning, full uniform. So I'm on honeymoon. I, I'm on leave. That means I have time off. Chink, guess what? Honeymoon, you get called out. You see, you don't dictate what God does. When God wants you to move in the supernatural and the spirit downtown, 
filling fuel in the car at the supermarket, wherever it is, when he dials, you obey. You don't say, hang on, I'm on leave. I'll see you at my prayer meeting, my time this evening or tomorrow morning at five o'clock. That's when I talk to you, God. Until then, I'm not here. Well, if you want to remain average and shoot at paper targets, you're willing to. You, you can do so. But if you want to see stuff happen, you're instantly, constantly ready for action. Kelly and I have lived our lives like this. We get married. First seven years, seven years in this military unit, I was going through all the training for it. First seven years, the phone would ring at home sometime, or I worked at the veterinary laboratory because we were, phone would ring, we need you to, in, in four hours, you need to be at the base. Yes, I'll be there. Walk straight into my boss's office. Sir, I'm out. Four hours, I'm needed over there. He says, go, please. You're released. So I had that kind of a relationship. Phone Kelly would be the first call. Kelly, I have to go. Where are you going? I don't know. How long? I don't know. What are you going to do? I don't know. You see, I, they never told us. You just had to be ready. See, when you volunteer for something, you don't ask questions. How would you like to live a Christian life like that? Yeah, God, I'm not feeling good today. You know, I haven't had breakfast yet. Do you think he's going to come and tap on your door again the second time? Are you ready now? Can I talk to you? He'll say, Lord, I'll just override that one. I'll go to someone who is ready. It's like Ronald Bonke said. I think he called, I don't know, he said 13 probably different people around the world to do what he was called to do, and he happened to volunteer, and that's why he did it, and that's who he is. Because he chose to put himself there. I hope we have some of those kind of people here. Springfield, Springboard, Springfield. Absolutely. So, so that, was, that was it. it was, there are times in and out. But the training side of it, the training sometimes, the training because I got wounded, which I'll come to just now. And I also, as recovering from being wounded, I went and become an instructor in the selection courses to choose these men that volunteered out of special air service Rhodesian lighters out of specialized military recognized units they were volunteered to come into this one because this one you came home some of those other ones friends didn't come home and so they wanted to be the best and it's good to be the best 120 men would get off the trucks carry full armor, armor kit weapons a box ammunition box empty no ammunition in it no handles on it full of wet sand and you'd pick any two men and say, you will carry this 15 miles to the base and get there before sunset, otherwise you're disqualified. You've never met this guy before, but you're put together for a purpose. You see, some, that, that's what training, that's what teamwork is. When you don't know someone, you know if he fails, you're going to have to carry that thing. So you're going to make sure he doesn't stop running next to you, and he's going to make sure you don't stop running next to you. It's called fellowship in a church. We make sure our friends keep going even when the sandbox of disappointments are heavy. We don't disabandon them so you useless thing now, I have to carry it now. No, we carry things together. 120 men start, by the end of 19 days, maybe eight would pass. Why? Because we sifted out those that were not good enough. Did we fail them? Not once. The only reason we'd fail them is when they gave up, they broke a bone or dislocated something, which happened. 5% fatality rate is allowed in any military training exercise. In other words, out of 100 people, five can die and it's legal. 
I like that, don't you? I mean, that's serious stuff. Like, that's worth trying. Just don't die. Don't quit. Church of 100 people, no, five quits. No, you get them back in. You're lifting hands, you're stretching. <laughs> and, and so they're, they're, then we'd interview them. Why do you want to be in it? You see, there was, we'd, we, the other reason why they would fail is if we heard them murmuring, complaining about the officer or the, one of the training instructors, or they're complaining about someone else in their group, if we heard them murmuring, one warning. Why are you complaining? Why are you criticizing? And if, if we hear them again, you're out. Oh, but, yeah, but, I no, out. We don't want that. Yet we lout in church life. It's not worth it. You're not going to get to the target. You're not going to come home safe. And so these guys were trained and we made sure they were trained because we're going to be fighting next to them. We're going to trust on one movement in their whole body over a six week period and that's this movement. No matter what color they were, brown, black, yellow, Indian, whatever, cultural names, whatever, that's what they were with us. And so we had them come back. So the selection courses are important. So one of these days we get a phone call at our house be at the, at the base at 6 in the morning. I was there. Kelly was pregnant with our first child that we were to have. We have three children. And we were trained on military vehicles. So long, no longer did we track. We are vehicle-borne. 20 millimeter Hispano belt-fed machine gun. One of those things taken out of the Hunter jets from the first, Second World War. We mounted it on a Unimog. Three bullets through the barrel of that thing. The front wheels are off the ground just the recoil and the power of that weapon so I was trained next to this thing we went into the country that we were going to there were nine there were 80 of us that night before crossing over at midnight we left we crossed over into this country using silenced weapons and um, they told us that we would be in a into a terrorist camp where there had been a thousand people seen so there were 80 of us against a thousand and there would be no air support because of political problems I, I have never been so frightened in my life and I really ask this question I do hope I see Kelly at the end of this and I wonder if I'll ever see our firstborn and those things go through your mind I remember finding a piece of roofing somewhere in the bush and climbing underneath that thing and putting it over me like a blanket to try and not be in this position right now because fear drives yet I had not met Jesus I knew about him I had all that understanding, the religious understanding of the Bible. It doesn't help you. You can feel as cold and as lonely as ever. You can wear the uniform but see nothing. It's just the same. So that next day at 8 o'clock, we crashed through into this terrorist camp. We went straight through the barriers. There they were, 5,000. You can Google it, 5,000. Yadzonia Ray, 85,000. It's not normal. Plan A didn't work. Plan B was just engage. Guess what? Plan B was engage. You take a metal piece out of the side of this machine gun, 20 mil, hand it to the guy next to you. This thing starts spitting fire. And within, within 20 minutes, there were about 3,000 people shredded in front of us. Each one of us, each of the vehicles had twin 5 twin whatevers. 
It was the most devastating thing, seeing Saving Private Ryan, Hacksaw Ridge, the beginning of those movies. Whenever I, well, the first time I ever saw both of those, I had to hold onto the seat, seat and keep telling myself, Kia, this is a movie, let's calm down. This is a movie, because I knew, I, I know that, I've been there. And when you start inhaling air, which is pink from sh blood exploding out of bodies, cordite fumes and diesel fumes all in one, we were pink, our you know, uniform, that's how devastating it was. And why am I being so crude in this? Because I want you to understand how God answers prayer. So I'm sitting there and I'm making sure this happens. And of course, if you're a military, you're training. So five, 3,020 minutes and only a divide, do the divisions there. And that's the responsibility you have of being a part of that. And vivid, I can see it as if it happened just a few minutes ago. It never goes away. And some war vets never get away from this. They cannot outgrow and outlive this. I get a bullet through both my legs. It enters here like a little vaccine mark, you know, a little blue thing. Here as a plug of meat comes out. Here, my muscles, half of it's ripped away. 28 stitches on this knee alone. I get a bullet through my legs. You don't expect it. You don't want it. You're not planning for it. It's very painful. It's very scary. And it happens in the middle of a war zone where you can't say, excuse me, can we just close down for 10 minutes so I can get ready and we can play again, you know? No, this happens. It's the most terrifying thing. And when you notify your next to you, the guy next to you, the expression on his face does not help the situation as he looks at you. So I didn't got no sympathy, nothing. It's like, get plugged up. He carries on. No tourniquets. And right at that moment, right there, there in the middle of the war, I remembered what I promised myself as a four-year-old. So I said, God, if you want my life, you can have it. I didn't know the words. I didn't quote the scripture perfectly. But what was perfect before God was my heart cry, whosoever, whoever, no one call, whosoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved, healed, delivered. All three are part of the package. I didn't know that scripture, but I cried out loud in the middle of the war. Within a split second, I had an Acts 9 experience. My dad never read the book of Acts. Acts 9 experience is when Saul saw the blinding light of God from heaven. I had that experience right there in the middle of that war zone. The blinding light of heaven came around me. It came from nowhere. There was no shadow in his presence. I was in him, in his presence. I, I don't know how or what happened, but God is not afraid of war. In the Old Testament, he's ever there in every fight. It's full of blood in the Old Testament. And here it is. There was not in a church meeting where there's a choir beautifully singing, musicians, dim lights, maybe even smoke machines happening, where everything's so nicely presented. And then maybe God's presence will show up if you hum at a nice moat and just so solemn and somber and, you know, that pouty Christian look. I'm messing with you because where I got saved, there was none of that. I didn't learn it. Where it was, where I went to, where they sang hymns, it still didn't work. But yeah, somehow God worked when I never expected him to because he's not, uh, he's not attuned to our preferences and our emotional setups and our encounter vibes that we want. When everything's right, then God shows up. You know what? 90, what happens when 90% of that never happens? You give up. No, in this war zone, I was one man who cried out and God shows up. What happened? What happened? The bleeding stopped. I looked down. The spouting and the rushing and the draining 
stopped and I looked down and I looked up and I was more attracted to the presence of God than I was to what was happening around me. I could see everything happening around me. Bodies being hit by bullets flying through their tumbling, dismembering, bowels flying like bits of rope. All that stuff I saw happening around. You see, God's not intimidated by situations. You can be in the worst condition that you think where God doesn't have the right to show up. When you call out to Him with all your heart, with all your strength, with all your might, He says, I hear that call, I'll come. I'll just push that stuff aside because I want you. I hear you. I need you. Not that He needs us, but we need Him. And so God's mercy triumphed over every bit of religious understanding that I was ever trained or taught or thought I had over judgment. But you're not good enough. Uh, so you're killing humanity. Bang! And the other knee. I'm going to teach you how not to do it. Bang! You know how that thing happens where we think on our brain? Where you think God is mad with us and so he's going to discipline us to get us to his position. Now God's mercy and grace triumphs over that. Because when you get what you don't deserve, how can you ever thank him from our perspective? How can a created thank a creator and give him something that says, wow, thank you, I don't have this. What he does want is he wants your life. And so when I got out of this, went into a second terrorist camp. We, were not, we weren't extracted, Red Cross helicopter. No, we, we go through this. You go through it. Thank God I went through it into another one, knowing that I'm vulnerable, bandaged up, had a medic here, could do an amputation, special forces, amputate you right there, if need be. We had the, you see, you have specialized. You, you need to hang around with specialized. Specialized. They know what to do in those situations into another camp. 34 hours later, I finally get to a medical hospital. And I was thinking there, shall I really tell you all about that? Five doses of morphine, guess what? You get pneumonia. Side effects of morphine, susagon, pneumonia. Your lungs fill up with water. I had pneumonia. I ate half an orange, the best thing I've ever eaten in my whole life. Some things you never forget. Guy comes up here. John, John, somebody gave me half a lieutenant. Here, have an orange. Thanks, half an orange. Next one. It just, I'll never forget it. It was so sweet, so nice. And you go on. And um, Kelly gets, she has the green car thing. You know, you have, in the, you have in the States, the green car comes up. Officers get out, purple. You know what they're doing. And the worst thing, what every wife hates to see, dreams that they'll never see it. Came and told Kelly, um, anyway, so I'm in hospital. And, of course, what the military do is they send a captain in who's a padre, chaplain. So I'm lying in bed there, and then comes this chaplain. Hello, son, how are you doing? And I look at him and say, I'm not your son, and I'm doing fine. My next question, sir, how come no one's ever told me the truth about who God is, that he answers prayer? How come he never does that? Why are we never told that? I've been around religion all my life and it's never helped me one bit because I never had the revelation of what it is. I just got information. Religion is information. You can read the Bible until you're sick. Unless you get revelation where it illuminates to you, then life begins. And I had an illumination of a revelation of Jesus and no one can take that from me because I know that in his, the worst situation in life, his mercy caught my attention, not 
anything else, not performance, His mercy, who He is, the essence of His being, the Creator, the Elohim, the Master of the universe and the law and order, God. He answered me that you never forget. Still bandaged, we are going to the base, military base. We never got there because Kelly's parents had some friends at home for tea. And uh, long story short, we invite him to our house for the next night because he's answering all the questions. Who's the Trinity? Where do they fit? Where's the Holy Spirit fitting with Jesus? What is he doing? We know God, yes, our Father. You know, religion has that. We know Jesus, the Son, yeah, on the cross. But the Holy Spirit, where does he fit in? And he basically said, well, you encountered the Holy Spirit. You encountered that because you cried out to him and you fulfilled the scripture. And you started doing the scriptures. And suddenly, we suddenly got our understanding. And then he said this, Kia, remember you cried out, said, Lord, if you want my life, you can have it. Because you gave, he says, he never took it. He gave it back to you. So Kia, what are you doing with your life? I was studying medicine to become a medical doctor at that point. My desire for being a medical doctor vanished within two seconds. Kelly and I went straight, didn't be invited. We went up, went into our bedroom, kneeled down on the bed, and I said, God, my life's yours. I'll go anywhere, do anything, say anything. I'm yours, I'm yours, I'm yours, Lord. I didn't have to be led in the sinner's prayer. I as us, his. Kelly, the same. We go to church the next Sunday. We both get baptized in water. I mean, we do stuff quickly. You're in the army, you know, we action. You don't linger around and say, when is a nice Sunday for you? You know, when, when the flowers and bloom and everything's decorated, then you go and get baptized. You, you get baptized. It's not about that. It's there. And the next thing, I get filled with the Holy Spirit in church. And I'm sitting about where you are, sir, ma'am, there. And the two guys that were in our house leading us, saying, asking the question, so what's you going to do with your life? They were next to us. And the pastor, who looked like this, no crow's nest, hymn numbers, organ in one corner, that's all. it was full on like this, and I'm eyes wide. Never been into a situation like this, church like this. He said, if you want the Holy Spirit, please come forward and receive the Holy Spirit. I'm sitting there, my chest is about exploding, my heart ricocheting around inside my ribs. You know, I get up and I come to the front, and he looks at me and he says, um, so what do you want? So I said, I would like to have the Holy Spirit. And he kind of moves like this, because the guy who was next to me, he was standing behind me. He says, he's okay, you can receive it. And he says, let's lift your hands. Close your eyes and take a deep breath. And I'm thinking, uh-uh. Uh-uh, we don't do that. That's full surrender as a soldier. It's like, uh-uh. And I suddenly felt, okay, um, I'm safe here. So I closed my eyes, lifted my hands, and I took a deep breath. He lays hands on me and says, fill this man with the Holy Spirit. And I have another one weird thing happen. I start feeling this volcano come from my stomach, and I start shouting out loudly, Abba, in church. And Kenny's disappearing behind the seat thinking, oh my gosh. And everybody else is kind of whistling and clapping. And I'm thinking, I can't say that name in church. Because Abba's a rock and roll group. And, you, and, and Mama Mia doesn't go down here. But I couldn't keep, keep quiet. This, this, this keeps saying Abba. And then I read in the Bible, I shall pour forth my spirit into my sons. 
and daughters, and they shall cry, Abba, Father. So I suddenly realize I'm your son, Lord, because I cry with this spirit of adoption, the same name that you are to me. I got the calling of God then to, to go into the ministry, which we did do. When the war stopped, took off a uniform, went to Christ of the Nations in Dallas, Texas, two years there. And, um, and, and we went through stuff there. For the first six months, six months, I was on scholarships, I was vacuuming carpets, shampooing carpets. I didn't know you could shampoo carpets, not where we live, we don't have carpets, it's too hot. So I was shampooing carpets, you know, uniform off, sergeant major, rank, commanding men. A month later, I'm shampooing carpets like, God, don't you know who, don't they know who I am? You know, our special forces, you know, don't they know? And you say to them, well, I was in the war in Rhodesia, and they say, where's that? Where's Rhodesia? Never heard of the place. So identity was stripped, and I began, began to know who he is. Not the favor that I need to gain from him. But the first six months doing that kind of stuff, every single day I wept. When you got 1,600 students worshiping every morning, worshiping, real worship, I would be on the carpet crying my eyes out. It's because what you live through, there's only one way that you can get rid of that. And most of that time, as is, is someone said, if, if your eyes don't leak, your head will burst. And, and the cleansing of the heart from what you've seen and experienced comes through the eyes. So he processed me. I never went to one of the lecturers and said, Prof, Professor, can you counsel me and how do I get rid of murdering, killing, destroying, brutalizing humanity. How do I? I think they would have need counseling after my session because seven years of that is a lot of stuff. But God is gracious and good. And one thing I have learned that His word is powerful. And so that's, that's who I am. I, I um, Kelly and I fully understand. I treat the Bible. I read it. I respond to the Lord almost the same way as I've ever grown up, and that is what he says, I do. Immediate obedience, no questions. And so we've traveled to many nations, seen a lot of signs and wonders, but one thing I do know is I know the power of the Holy Spirit. That moment that I encountered God in a war zone, I experienced his presence there. You might want to say, what was that like? I can tell you this. There's a peace in that moment that no man can manufacture or give you. There's something beyond. When we read peace in the Bible, it's more than what you think. It's more than no worries. It's more than that. It's a peace of authority and security. You know who you are, you know whose you are, and you know what to do. Those three things. Jesus said, whenever he prayed for someone, he said, go into peace. Your faith has saved you. Why did he say go into peace? Because peace is the result of victory. There is no peace unless there's victory. We live our lives sometimes as terrorists. We are being terrorized. But we need to realize that he is victorious and he's done it all. And we need to walk in his all that he's done us for. 
done for us. We need to walk in that place. And when you realize that, you, need, you can focus more on what He is doing than wondering whether you can do and you're doing what He's wanting you to do. There's that. There's that peace. There's that calmness where you're more attracted to Him than anything else. There is no distraction. Because when bullets are flying and you're leaking and other people are exploding in front of you, you're more attracted to Him. That is something that we need to be at. A church that is focused on what He's doing, not what's going on in the country or what's going on around us or in your jobs. It's to say, no, this is Him. This is who He is. This is who I am belonging to. When we keep that in focus, you'll never question your call. You'll never question your mandate. You'll never question your purpose in life. Because you know. There's nothing more attractive on earth than that. In the most violent situation, he comes in. When I tell people that, say, no, no, when, you have to be perfect to get to that. No, he'll gate crash your party if you'll let him. And it comes from your heart, friends. With the heart, man is saved. With the heart and with your mouth, there is confession. Your heart and your mouth are continually connected. What you say is what you get. You know the words. There's that. And when that happens once, you'll always recognize the presence of the Holy Spirit. You always know when He's in the room. You'll always know when He's around because you experienced Him once. You'll always know Him. And it's good to keep yourself in that place, that place of calmness. Calmness is a place of clear thinking, right decisions. Anything else is confusion and distortion. Amen. Let me bring the word. John 4, verse 46. John 4, verse 46. Verse 54 says, This is again the second sign that Jesus performed when he had come out of Judea, Galilee. When I read that, I thought, why is it the second miracle or the second sign? First one, water to wine. Second one is us. There's a principle here. It says, Therefore he came out of corner of Galilee, who had made a water wine, royal official, his son was sick. When he heard that Jesus had come out of Judea into Galilee, he went to him. I want you to notice that. Verse 47, when you hear, he went. When you hear Jesus, you go to him. When people hear about Jesus, they come to him. And he was begging him to come down to his son. Wrong move. Religious concept. Oh, Lord, I'm here. Would you come down and sort out my problem? Please come down. So it's very religious. Oh, God, why don't you come and change our town? Oh, God, why don't you save Springfield? You do it. No, I'm waiting on you. I've done everything. I'm sending you. Why don't you do it? That's called mission work. That's called evangelism. It's called natural, normal church life. It's not an event-driven situation on a Saturday sending hamburgers under a fridge to the lost people who are sleeping on the street. That's not evangelism. Evangelism is getting every level of society from your mayor, from the president, including him, down. Every single thing that twitches. Practice on your dog, on your budgie. Your goldfish. They'll not answer you back, so it's fine. And he went to him and he brought him to come down. Jesus said to him, Lest you people's signs and wonders, you'll simply not believe. So, so does that mean you eradicate signs and wonders? No, he says, what he's really saying is, is my word good enough for you? 
is, there's another way. There's my word. My word. Is my word not good enough for you? Or you're so driven on signs and wonders. You see, there's a transition. Signs and wonders, fantastic. It wakes people up. It's a sign and a wonder. It's great. I love watching it happen. But it's got to get you to the word. It says, is my word not enough? Look what he says. Verse 49. The royal official said to him, sir, come down before my child house. Twice. He's still in the religious mode. No, Lord, you come and do it. Jesus says, no, signs and wonders don't work. He says, Lord, come down and do it. He says, no, I'm not coming. See, some people will say, well, geez, so much for church and Christianity. Oh, my gosh. You don't come and meet my need. No, I don't. I don't meet everyone of your need. I want you to come and follow me, and in the process, that need will be met. You know, if you're sick, go and pray for the sick. And while you're praying for the sick, you get healed because that power flows through you. It's going to get dealt a blow as it is. It also becomes cinders and ash when that fire flows through you to others. And so Jesus said to him, go, your son lives. The man believed the word that Jesus spoke to him and started off. So Jesus didn't pray. He said, go, go, your son lives. The man believed the word that Jesus spoke to him and started off. I read yesterday afternoon another translation. Jesus says, Go in peace, your son will live. And the man put his trust in what Jesus said, and he started home. When you put your trust in what he said, you'll see the result. And as he was now going down, as many of his servants came to him and told him that his son was alive, and he began to ask him, well, what hour did my son come around? He said, yesterday at the 11th hour, and so the man knew, and he went home, and his whole household got saved. So twice he wanted Jesus to come down. Jesus says, no, 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 you go. Your son will live. When you obey and do what I told you to do, you'll get the result of what I said. Second miracle in the Bible. Why? It's because of the way the church works. It's the way we work. It's the second miracle. He's showing it to us. I'm not coming down Old Testament method. I'm not coming down and wiping all your tears away. You wipe your own tears away and get on with the action. The Bible is full of action. He's wanting us to be a part of it. When he heard the word that Jesus said, be very careful what you listen to on the internet, YouTube, podcast. Rather read our Bibles. It's the only manual. This thing, it's big. Okay, why do you carry it around? It's more than that. It's got notes stuck in it. It's got preach. I could preach out of this for four years. What's in it? notes four years easy why because it's been 40 plus years of of notes and stuff and revelation that i know brings results we need to become in uniform get ready and do what he's called us to do go lay hands on the sick command with authority the kingdom of god is power thy jesus said thy king he talked about kingdom church has mentioned a couple of times kingdom it has a constitution, it has a king, it has a way of living, it has a lifestyle, it has an atmosphere, and it has a code of conduct in which it operates. Not your code of conduct, our, his code of conduct. Amen. Would you close your eyes a sec? Father, thank you for life, for mercy, for grace, for who you are that you're not intimidated by situation, circumstances, conditions, lifestyles. 
but you are attuned to one thing, the heart of man, the cry of the heart of man and woman. Maybe today there's some that are crying out in their hearts. And so I'm going to ask you three questions, then I'll ask you to respond by A, lifting your hand, B, standing up, if this pertains to you. Number one, you are not born again. You do not know Jesus Christ. And today you say in your heart, I want to cry out to him like Kira did, and I know he'll answer. That's number one. If you don't know him and you want to know him, that's it. Number two, maybe you have known Jesus. You've been born again previously in another church, another place, another time, but somehow fallen out of fellowship with him because of circumstances that you think are justifiably reason why you need to walk away from him. Friend, do not. Come back to him today. Resubmit, recommit, rededicate your life to him. Prodigal son, daughter, come home to him today. That's the second one. The third one and final one is, you do not know where you are with him. You say, well, I know I go to church, I do all these things, but I have never had an encounter, a direct experience with him knowing his mercy and his grace. And you want to make sure of that today. I was in one of those three categories, near church, knew everything, but oh man, when I met him, it was a massive difference. So if there's anyone here, any one of those three areas, would you lift your hands right now and say, yes, Kia, that's me. Thank you. That's me. I want to make a change, a difference, to come to him. Okay. Okay, man, would you stand? That person that lifted your hand, would you stand up? Anyone else? Just come to the front, please. Yeah, just come on down. If you came with someone, let that someone come with you. There you go. Salvation is vital. Artemis, they know each other, they do. He's going to lead his friend to Jesus. Amen. 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 I'm just sensitive to time, etc.